our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. And it's always great to talk to Al. Hey, Al, were you ready for the next snowstorm coming up? You know, I am. <laughs> Why not? 11 hours and 21 minutes of daylight now. So Yes. So that makes us ready for pretty much everything, I think, as long as we can see a little bit. And don't we turn the I, clocks back this weekend, or is it ahead, no, spring ahead? So we lose an hour of, of sleep, but yet get more light longer so we can go out and garden whenever the snow melts, basically. That's <laughs> right. I, I had a Salvation Army, I'm on a Salvation Army board, uh, and we had a meeting yesterday, and they took care of 93 uh, oh, I rescued people. It always oh seems like you're going to a pound and picking up a rescued person. <laughs> but they had 93 rescued people during the storm, and they all said the same thing. They were just driving along, and all of a sudden they couldn't see the road, and the next thing they know, they took kind of a dip, and they're in the ditch. A uh, number of them did not have coats. Oh. Uh, one guy was wearing shorts, and one guy had no socks. So it was... Uh, they weren't necessarily prepared, but that's the kind of the Minnesota way. We underprepare and then we overreact. Do you think that these people are in a, a bubble that they didn't hear anything on the TV news, the social media, the, the radio, uh, that they didn't realize there was a potentially harmful storm? I, I heard a lot about it, but maybe there are people who live in bubbles that don't actually hear these things so they're that's why they're not prepared i guess you know we think we can beat it i'm speaking as a man here (laughs) i can't speak for you wonderful ladies but men we think oh you know if i just keep going i can beat it and i am sure not all these people are headed home but i know i have a great homing instinct I always just figure if I can make it home, everything will be good then. And uh, it just, yeah, I don't know. We we don't think proper at all times, and I'm speaking for myself here. So. I want to thank uh, Eileen Ramlow of St. Paul, Minnesota. I got it, just got it in the mail. She sent me a wonderful book about birds that was uh, from the Farmer magazine. And the farmer had the Farmer Bird Club. And I have no idea what year this was from because it doesn't have it in it. But it says the value or the list price is 25 cents. Oh, so that's it's old then. been around a while. <laughs> yeah. And boy, thanks, Eileen. What a, I, man, I just, you made my day. I'm just, I jumped around and. I did a couple whoops, and it was just a, a really nice thing. So thank you for that. Uh, the Blue Jays this morning in the yard are very talkative. And Mark Twain, I remember he wrote, You never saw a Blue Jay get stuck for a word. He is a vocabularized geyser. And I think that, uh, boy, that hits it. The snowplow just went by. Again. <laughs> yeah, it grumbled by. They just kind of, uh, you know, they're putting so many hours. It sounds tired as it goes by. I I want to mention, too, before I forget, uh, at the Nye Center in Henderson, they are having maple syrup tours. Oh. And they're going to be March 9th and March 23rd. They're both on Saturdays. You can you get to tap trees, collect sap, and the best thing you get to taste a sample. Is and the is the syrup running though? Because 
I mean, it's been so cold, so I know you have to have warm days and cold nights. It's, so is it getting, uh, I wouldn't think they'd be running yet, but apparently they are up there. I, I, I sure hope so, because I know they're going to do these things. Oh, so if, if anybody would like more information from us, it's a wonderful place to be. It's uh, 357-8580. 357-8580. Uh, Brandon Brackey. Uh, Brandon is from Albert Lee. And he is an avid pheasant hunter, and he's concerned about the survival of the birds over over this winter. And he was wondering how they were doing. He was seeing a bunch of them. Now he's not seeing any. Hmm. Uh, the loss of food due to a persistent cover of snow and or ice is a killer for pheasants. There's no doubt about that. Uh, waste grain is an important food source that becomes unavailable under accumulation of snow. And I read once, and I tried to find where I read it, and I, ugh, you know, I don't know where they have books galore. But I read once that if a pheasant could get 300 kernels of corn per day, then it could maintain its weight and its it's good health. So 300 kernels, somebody's figured that out down to the kernel. I wonder how if that's an ear of corn, if somebody's figured that out, or if it's a partial ear of corn. Yeah, it depends on the size of the ear. I don't know what the average, I think I used to know that, too, what the average ear of corn was, probably as a kid, because we counted them and we fed the chickens and things. But I, I don't know that. It, I feel like it's one of those things I should know, but I do not. I, I did. I do know. Uh, from talking with people that have raised pheasants, said they have no doubt captive pheasants could survive several weeks without any food. Back to to our good friend Al Bat. Hey Al, I got a call from Don in Cannon Falls, and he has yeah. a question for you. He said he used to live in Prior Lake in the country. And so his question is, is there a connection between having mice and owls? Because his story is, in Prior Lake, he had five acres in the country, and he used to have lots of mice and lots of owls. He had a pair of gray horned and uh, uh, barn owls. And now he lives in Cannon Falls, kind of in town. But he says there's no owls and no mice. He even puts traps in his garage thinking there's got to be mice out here, and he's not catching it in his, his garage. And so he says, what in the world? And, and is there a connection? I assume there might be, but where's the mice, and and is that why there's no owls? Yeah, there's definitely a, a connection there, and even more so with voles probably than mice. Voles are just... Uh, as I tell everybody, they're a sandwich on legs. They're the uh, potato chip of the prairie. So owls need to be somewhere where there's food. And they like it out in the country. It's just safer, or I shouldn't say safer. It's safer for them in the city. But they like it out in the country because there's more food, there's more habitat, there's better roosting sites. But, uh, Don, boy, you nailed it. They like it where they can eat. Uh, it's like uh, when we have folks that retire and they decide to move to town, they want to go somewhere where there's their clinic and where there's a lot of restaurants. And owls uh, don't have a clinic around here for them, but they like, they like the restaurants. Well, why doesn't he have mice in his garage? He said, I've got seed in my garage. Where are they? <laughs> Not that he wants them, probably, but uh, just wondering where they all went. 
Yeah, and I, I'm surprised. Maybe he's got a, his house is uh, tighter than maybe it's a newer home that doesn't invite mice in so much as his uh, previous house. Uh, mice can get in very small places, so it's hard to keep them out completely, but that might be one of the cases. Um, and I should mention Brandon Brackey. I was talking about that. I was talking, I think, to, about somebody who uh, had captive pheasants who said that uh, a captive bird, he had no he had no doubt that they could live several weeks without eating. This is a ringneck pheasant. It'd be a terrible thing, but they could eat or live several weeks without food. And part of the reason would be they'd be coming into that several weeks well-fed. They don't expend energy avoiding predators. They don't need to worry about staying warm or finding a, a place to roost like the wild ones do. But I would think a healthy wild pheasant could probably go at least three days without food. And the annual survival rate of a ringneck pheasant's around 50%. Hens are more likely to succumb to starvation than our roosters as the females enter winter in poor condition due to the high energy demands of nesting and rearing chicks. And we think about them being out there in the strong winds, and we say, oh, what a terrible thing. But you know what? The strong winds could sometimes be beneficial to pheasants as it might free feeding areas of snow. And another problem for pheasants is a lack of suitable winter cover. I was in a um, bird store the other day, and the last of the corn just went out the door, the cracked corn. People were buying all the corn to feed pheasants, so... Uh, Tom Belshin said, uh, he's from Glenville, he said deer are browsing on spruce, and boy, they got to be hungry to do that. Uh, Ed Fancook of Chatfield said, hi Al, hope you're doing well through this exceptionally snowy winter as I slog through knee-deep snow to again fill our multiple bird feeders. I was wondering where the birds find the gravel they typically need to help break down and digest the seeds they are eating. When the snow is deep for extended periods of time, is there any benefit to putting out gravel or sand on the ground or in another feeder? Uh, thanks for caring about the birds, Ed. Uh, birds do not have teeth. Instead, they grind food in their gizzards. Birds eat small pieces of sand and gravel or grit to aid the grinding process. And in the winter, when the ground is covered by snow, suitable grit may be hard to find. You can supply grit to birds at the feeder in form of crushed eggshells, uh, grit that's sold in a variety of pet stores. And I suppose you could throw a little sand. I don't know how much it would uh, be used. But the birds that really need it are the birds that swallow seeds and nuts whole. The ones that crack them and eat them, not so much. Uh, Dick Borgie of Alden, seeing good numbers of pheasants in his yard. Roger Meyer. Roger is from St. Croix Falls, Wisconsin. And he said, Dear Al, we have a couple of 10-foot burning bushes on the east side of our house. They're four feet from our viewing window. It's a big attraction for six chickadees that spend an inordinate amount of time flitting about on the branches pecking away at that soft wood. 
there are tiny buds on those branches, and it seems to me the buds would be decimated by now. There's lots of food on the wind-protected east side of the house, and they do visit the sunflower and fruit nut feeders there, especially in the morning. But any time I've looked out the west window, those little buggers are there, even in 30 below windchill days or when the branches are covered with snow. I wonder if they might be ingesting tiny bits of wood as grit. What do you think? Roger, you probably know chickadees are my favorite bird, and they're always up to something. It's part of their charm. And the burning bush might provide a safe and secure place when they seek refuge. They are curious creatures, but since they spend most of their winter days searching for food, I reckon food plays a large part in this odd activity. Insects and insect larvae and eggs and spiders make up a significant portion of a chickadee's winter diet. And that's around 50% here in the cold country in winter. Uh, The tiny birds could be hunting those. Uh, Chickadees are hoarders. Perhaps they have found the burning bush a suitable place to cache food. The berries of this plant can persist, so maybe they're finding edible bits of those. I wouldn't have thought of them using the wood of Euonymus for grit. Hmm. Uh, that's great thinking out of the box on your part, Roger, that you know might get you added to a couple of prestigious committees and <laughs> cause me to vote for you if you seek public office. But I'm not aware of wood being used for that purpose. I wouldn't think it'd be good. Um, Oyster shells and eggshells, yes, but not burning bushes. Uh, Chickadees do excavate nests in soft woods, but that wouldn't be what's going on in a burning bush. And I'm sorry I can't give you a more definitive answer. And let me know if the chickadees share the reason for their behavior. Stay warm. Uh, Jerry Victoria, Allendale, asked about the fall behavior of turkeys. Did I see a lot in my yard and not many? And it just he was wondering this whole flock thing. And birds of a feather do flock together. So hens flock with other hens, including female offspring that might no longer roost in the same trees as their mothers. So they might have to sleep away from the family tree, but they still hang around with them during the day. Hens that were unsuccessful in nesting, they might form smaller flocks with other hens, lone hens, in the same circumstances. Toms form their own flocks, often segregated by age. Young males, called jakes, they band together. Flocks rarely interact with others. And the mature toms that flock together in the winter they separate when the breeding season commences in the spring. So um, you're sharp to notice that, Jerry. Uh, An emailer asks, why do people drive so fast during winter storms? I want to know that, too. Uh, And why don't they put on their lights, not just the running lights, but the whole lights? And why don't they slow down? There's a lot of things I wonder. So I'm with him. And everybody check your lights. I see more pedidos. Yes. than I've ever seen in my life. They're they're everywhere. Yes. I know mine went out one day, and I didn't make it home before a highway patrolman pulled me over and said, do you know you have a headlight out? <clears throat> and, and I didn't, I guess. But um, 
I think people drive so fast because they believe that the less time they spend on the road, <laughs> the less chance they have of going into a ditch. So if you go really fast, you get home <laughs> faster, and it's just, just it's a wonderful thing. Until you don't make it, and then you're a lot slower. Right. And we've all been in that ditch and said, what was I thinking? I am never doing this ever again, but, uh, boy, we have short memories, sadly. That's why a lot of people go south, you know, a lot of snowbirds. Somebody asked, oh, I can't remember where this was at, but they said if, if they go south, they are snowbirds. But what are people from Minnesota called who stay for the winter? <laughs> and uh, we're called cold. Yes. So it's a snowbird or cold. There are two choices. And the same person had asked, what is the dew point? Because we always had the, um, the relative humidity growing up. That's what we heard about. And they said, what is the dew point? And I told them it was the opposite of the do not point. So <laughs> I thought I was very helpful there at that. That was at an educational meeting I was speaking to. So that was my, um, I, I think I sucked all the knowledge out of the room just by telling those things. Since you're on a roll with <laughs> jokes, I've got a couple uh, questions from our good friend John in New Ulm. So, Great. yeah, John wants to know, this is for you, Al, what did the stamp say to the envelope? What did the stamp say that I don't know? Stick with me and I will take you places. Oh my gosh, that is good, John. Here's and, another. And true. <laughs> what did the hamburger name its daughter? You probably can get this one. Well, sure. Now you put the now there's too much pressure. I'll never be able What did the hamburger name its daughter? Uh, Hamburger helper. I don't know. Patty. Oh, like Patty. hamburger Patty. Oh, Thanks, John. Patty. <laughs> Thanks, John. Oofta. That's that's why we have the word oofta. Yes. So we can <laughs> uh, get a uh, note from somebody saying I am I'm seeing a coyote um, near my yard, and I don't know if it's a rural yard or the edge of town. And said, but I don't see it all the time. And well, that's because we're not looking all the time. But how far does a coyote travel? Uh, there's so many different studies out there, and they all find different things. Uh, solitary coyotes probably travel up to 60 square miles. If you got a lone coyote out there, they're just traveling. Uh, young coyotes that disperse. They often travel 50 to 100 miles. They documented one that they had a, a collar on. 400 miles it traveled in search of a vacant territory or a mate. So if that's an it'd be an adult now, they could move 10 miles a night through their territory. So that's probably why you're not seeing it because it likely doesn't. Uh, doesn't have a strict schedule, so it comes through by your yard at the same time. And then they're really sneaky. They can be right there, and we don't notice them. They're just, that's how they survive. Uh, they're hunters. They're shooting at them. Uh, people have poisoned them through the years. And it seems like the more they're persecuted, the more coyotes we have. They are. They just do very, very well. And, Sometimes you just kind of have to tip your hat. 
Um, you just got a text from somebody saying, what is the, two questions, what is the heaviest owl that I might see in Minnesota? And the other one is, which is larger, a bald eagle or a golden eagle? The heaviest owl that we might see in Minnesota is the snowy owl. Hmm. It's North America's heaviest owl, and that's on average. Well, I uh, always think of, the, aren't the snowy owls smaller? I always thought that they were smaller than a lot of our other owls, but I must be obviously wrong. Well, it depends on what you measure, if you measure wingspan, length, ah. and uh, and then some just look bigger than they are. But the snowy owl is the heaviest. Uh-huh. So if we put them all on the scale, we got all the owls lined up here, it'd be the one that the doctor would say, it wouldn't hurt you to lose a half ounce or so. <laughs> um, the larger between a bald eagle and a golden eagle, oh, man, there are variances in the sizes of individual birds in both species, but generally they are the same size. And I know there's all kinds of videos and internet things that saying golden eagles are much larger than bald eagles, but uh, I've stood by both of them and they're not. They're they're the same size. and it, They're huge when you're by them, but they're they're the same size i hope everybody will come to the cafe today where the food chain is missing a few links the special is always a high maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet well hardly any of it i uh i get down south once in a while to speak at things and people are always amazed. You know, Minnesota must, the map of Minnesota must live on the Weather Channel in the wintertime because people say, and then they can't find words. <laughs> and one fella asked me in Texas, he said, what's the secret to winter survival there? And I thought, <laughs> well, you know, winter has problems. Who doesn't? I, I like the season. I like winter. A blizzard gives one time to prune the impatience. I was laying in supplies at a grocery store locally here. Running to the store between storms becomes an Olympic event. And I walk in there, got my cart, and I'm shuffling along, got my list of things to get. And how are you doing, asked a fellow shopper. And I said, well, temperature's normal, pulse regular, and appetite strong. Winter is too much of one thing and not enough of another. There's too much snow and not enough time to enjoy it and explore its mysteries. There are those deprived people who don't get to relish our winters. We overwork our memories deciding how this winter stacks up against those of the past. The secret to winter survival, don't die. Remember folks, Heartland is well worth driving past. Uh, Thanks for listening. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen. I hope you have your very best day ever, ever, ever. Hey, you too, Al. It's always great to chat with you, and we'll be back again with you next week. Until then, uh, happy snow shoveling. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I tried to I looked for a snow uh, a snow rake. Yeah, and you, you know couldn't find any? Because I was thinking of. I need to get one, too. Are there any in the stores? 
I stopped at a couple, and, you know, to put it politely, they pretty much laughed at me and said, I don't know where you get one. Try Amazon. It's got to that point. Wow. Or find, you know, somebody else that looks like they've raked and maybe borrow theirs. That's the other thought. Or get a real nice person that says, let me come over and do that for you. (laughs) There you go. That would be even better. Absolutely. Hey, Al, you have a great rest of your week, and we'll chat with you next Tuesday. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. Yep, bye-bye.